Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In part one of this two-part chat with Paul, we cover his days as an undergraduate at a non-target school in the Midwest. We find out how he managed to break into an investment banking internship at Morgan Stanley and why he pivoted to consulting after a health scare. We learn how he was able to successfully recruit at both a top investment bank and a top consulting firm in back-to-back years. In this part one, we step back to really evaluate his internships and recruiting out of undergrad to find out what really opened the most doors for him. Enjoy. All right, Paul, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Yeah, you bet. Good to be here. So it'd be awesome if uh, you could give the listeners a short summary of your bio. Sure. So I went to Wheaton College for undergrad. I played soccer there. Um, After that, I did three years at McKinsey. I guess I should say I did an investment banking internship uh, during undergrad, decided to do three years in consulting after school, and then from there, spent three more years at Inside Equity, a middle market private equity fund, um, and I'm now at Wharton doing my MBA. Very cool. So let's start all the way back at uh, Wheaton and figure out, first off, why, why Wheaton? Why did you go there? Um, and when did consulting come on the radar or were you, you know, it sounds like you did an investment banking internship, so that was also on the radar. Tell me a little bit about, about the decision to go there and then kind of yeah, that all unfolded. Spark story. Yeah. So I decided to go to Wheaton um, for a couple of reasons. First is that I was recruited to play soccer there. And that was something that I really wanted to do in undergrad. And second, I really wanted to be part of the kind of intentional community that Wheaton had. I wanted to be part of a small liberal arts college that was, you know, focused on building community in small groups and um, just really loved the people there. I was really impressed with the people I met when I visited and um, ultimately had a great four-year experience there. Um, however, Wheaton is you know, a non-target school. And so 18-year-old me didn't really appreciate the choice I was making by going to play soccer at uh, a school like Wheaton, which, and, you know. And tell me, just for the listeners who don't know, where is where is that? Yeah, so that's in uh, Illinois. So there are two Wheatons. Um, yeah. This one's the one just outside of Chicago and yeah, really loved the experience there. Uh, it was a math and economics double major. Uh, I, I honestly chose that cause I liked math and I thought, Hey, great. Like this is the kind of coursework I like. And you know, if I can focus on that and have to do less of other coursework, then that'll be great. Um, you didn't, you didn't love writing. <laughs> 
you know, I like writing a lot more now. It's it's interesting how things change, you know, the older you get. But uh, at the time, I was like, great, I can just focus on math. Um, and then I noticed that economics, you know, had a lot of overlap. So you get, you know, talking interviews about double majoring, but it was really, you know, honestly, a major and a half. And um, yeah, so I, I did that. And I kind of knew at some point that I wanted to go into business. I think the writing was on the wall that I wasn't going to be a professional soccer player by uh, even by the time I was heading into college. Um, And it was really sophomore year where I started to become more interested in career. And that's when I started to have to figure out, okay, do I want to go into investment banking, consult, figure out what those industries are. Tell me about your family a little bit. Like what, are they in medicine? Are they in something completely unrelated? Are they in consulting? Yeah, they are. So uh, both my parents are lawyers. Okay. And um, they pushing you to go to law school or they said, stay away. No, both of them were like, stay away. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, no, they they were great. They've been very supportive and just open, you know, open-ended, let me really explore. And so I came to Wheaton kind of uh, completely blue sky in terms of what I'd be doing afterwards. Okay. So you're kind of, realizing you're not going to be a professional soccer player. Soccer yep. player comes around. How do you start learning about, you know, uh, this investment banking world and all yeah. that? So it's funny. I, um, I really didn't have a lot of great uh, resources. I think um, Wheaton has done a, a great jo- job over the past decade or so of like beefing up their existing career uh, center resources. But at the time I just didn't have um, a good source to try and figure out, hey, what should I even be shooting for? I, I was just a competitive, uh, you know, person that liked numbers and wanted to grow a lot and do whatever the most, um, you know, interesting and competitive thing could be after school. Mm-hmm. Um, and my sophomore year, there was an alum who came and spoke, and he gave this talk called "What I Wish I Knew as a Sophomore," and essentially it was a pitch to to go get an MBA and in the meantime, do either consulting, finance, or tech. That was sort of his spiel. And he had a bunch of interesting credentials. He, he works in venture capital and um, he, w- he was just speaking in a really compelling way that wasn't kind of sugarcoating that everything would you know, work out when you left college. And I remember he offered to, for anyone who was at the talk to follow up with them if they wanted to just you know, individually pick his brain. And so we talked, um, you know, he asked what my GPA was and what I was studying and, and just based off of, you know, my extracurriculars, he was like, you know, Paul, I think you should really consider going into either finance, specifically investment banking or consulting after undergrad. That's where a lot of other competitive candidates with your kind of background are going from some of these target schools. And if you were to go down that route, I think you'd really be able to to compress, you know, five years of learning into your first two, two or so years. And I thought that was great. So that kind of sparked my, my initial interest. Very cool. So that was kind of a, an important mentor, even if it was a passing mentor, not yeah. so that kind of planted the seed a little bit. And so did you, how did you start doing, you started just Googling like crazy about all these different careers or what, what was the next yeah. step for you? Yeah, I definitely spent time on Wall Street Oasis, uh, among other sites. And hopefully I, not freaking you out. <laughs> yeah, no, it, <laughs> there, there's tons, you know, tons of different sources you can go to. And I think 
over time, what was most helpful for me was just trying to draw from either like obviously my my college network, um, but also for, you know friends and family, people who um, were in those industries or even tangential to those industries. So like you know, for example, I remember having a really good conversation with someone in commercial banking who. Uh, he was a director. And so he was able to put me in touch with somebody on the investment banking side after we had coffee. So just, you know, trying to turn over every rock and slowly over time, you kind of get different tidbits of truth from each conversation. And how long the, did that take you? So like, this is your sophomore year when you, so tell me when that first kind of talk happened and then how were you uh, naturally just aggressive at networking or was it something that you were awkward at first and got better? Like, tell me about that. Oh yeah, it was extremely painful from from the start, but you learn over time. Uh, time the the timeline was, I think this guy gave his talk in either September or October. So early sophomore year, which is good. Yeah, yeah, early sophomore year, and you know, one of the first things that I learned was from from some of these initial conversations was, hey, these investment banks, you know, coming coming from a Wheaton, and unless you've you know cured cancer or something like there's not going to be a sophomore internship opportunity for you. So I think some of these initial conversations really just helped me get a lay of the land and understand what kind of timeline I was working with. Um, I feel like that changes every year for IB. So like my, my timeline is a little bit outdated now, but you know, I had in mind, okay, I need to come back in the fall of junior year ready to, to talk to people. And now I know that, you know, things it's sophomore year, yeah. Smiling, yeah. Um, it's crazy so things, really now. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, things keep speeding up, but, but for me, that was the time frame, And so I just, you know, honestly spent the next, um, call it six months, you know, going into the, like right before the summer, trying to talk to any Wheaton grads I could find. I mean, you know, there weren't, really very many in investment banking and at the time were hardly any in consulting. So it was, you know, talking to one person who might introduce me to another person or like, for example, I interned in wealth management after my sophomore year um, with my former soccer coach. Like mm -hmm. I found out that he happened to be a wealth manager and had learned from other conversations that that was one of the potential stepping stones to investment banking. And so um, it was just so, kind of, so I get that. So you got a wealth management internship, which is 10, they tend to be easier to get. That makes sense. Yeah. This was your sophomore summer. Yep. Sophomore that summer. That yep. kind of teed up your, your recruiting for junior year, but there's still no on-campus recruiting right there. Or is there a little, yeah. oh yeah, definitely no recruiting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or for, I mean, it's for finance, obviously. For yeah. Like these yeah. Banking roles. So how did you even, I see here you ended up with a, a winter as a winter analyst at yeah. Morgan Stanley. How on earth did you even? Yeah. In that? I, so, so um, I will just add the other thing that I did over sophomore summer was I went to Tuck and I did their bridge program, mm. which is essentially pre MBA program for liberal arts students. It was one month idyllic experience in the summer, you know, up in New Hampshire uh, really helpful, kind of a crash course in financial modeling, corporate finance, accounting, all the things that I wasn't taking as a liberal arts student. Yep. And then I was doing a lot of... Was that paid? Did you pay for that yourself or your parents helped cover that? Uh, no. My grandmother helped pitch in a <laughs> little bit. Is that, those I, are, is that expensive, that, that 
that program? I mean, tuition just creeps up every year. So I'm sure that that's like a normal tuition for a school. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's through tuck, right? So yeah, it, it wasn't as expensive as normal tuition, but, um, cause it was like a month, it's a condensed month program. Like a, it, how, how long were you in school? I'm just curious about that program in case you feel like it's uh, valuable for other kids. It was four weeks. It was super valuable. Um, and like one thing I found interesting from the program was, um, there were a lot of target school students that were doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody was doing internship. So some people were treating this as their summer experience. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I noticed was that a lot of students there weren't proactively trying to network through Tuck. And so I just walked into the career center one day and there's the person who helps, you know, investment banking uh, interested MBA students get jobs. Like why not see if she has time later on that week? And she ended up being a really helpful resource over the next, you know, six months. So I think just going to talk from a brand perspective, from the coursework perspective and just adding more, you know, stones to turnover. I think that was also really helpful. Like more possible connections for, because the Tuck, Tuck alum network is super tight knit. So even just saying you yeah. went to, to the, that program, although probably not as likely to get you a response. Uh, yeah, there, there was a guy who um, I shot him a note. I, I literally combed through, I mean, believe me, everyone who was in IB. And uh, there's a guy at uh, Merrill Lynch who was nice enough to be of a Merrill Lynch, was nice enough to come and just grab coffee with me over fall break when I was in New York mm. because I had done this summer program. He was like, I don't even know what this program is, but great to meet you. And um, <laughs> yeah, the, the type network was, was very generous for sure. That's great. And so you, um, you leveraged that, you kind of went back and then, so you're coming in junior year. Are you yep. networking aggressively before, like through the summer during this tuck thing? And then how are you structuring that? Are you using LinkedIn only um, cold calls, cold email? What, what do you, how are you doing this? How are you keeping it yeah. all organized? Yeah, I think at the time, uh, gosh, this probably dates me a little bit, but like a lot of people weren't using LinkedIn as um, like, it wasn't as consistent. I'm sure a lot of people had profiles and whatnot, but yeah, at that point in time, it was not the sort of thing that you check every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so it also had a really terrible hit rate. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just using cold emails. You learn to figure out how templates for emails are structured for different banks um, which we have in the company database for anyone curious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have all this. You don't have to do all the research. <laughs> yeah. Love that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, just kind of using intuition and trying to trying to dig up as many lists as possible. And the worst that can happen is somebody says, doesn't respond, you know, or is like unwilling to talk. Um, I've had plenty of calls where like, you know, I make a mistake, like not using, if I didn't use my full name, like one time somebody told me, like, I don't know which Paul this is. Uh, and then you learn, okay, like give them a little bit more context. So uh, there are plenty of these kinds of conversations where you, you know, fumble in the dark a little bit and, and find your way. And then you actually start liking these conversations. And so mm-hmm. I came basically right up to summer, just talking to as many people as I could. And I guess through the summer too, like tr- tried to leverage the Merrill Lynch network, the Tuck network. And I staged it so that as I came back to campus, um, I essentially reached out to every single person that I had sort of built a relationship with. Which was how many people, how many people do you think you reached out to? Like 500, 300? Oh gosh. 
Um, like during that sophomore year through the summer. Uh, yeah. 2000, 3000, how motivated, how competitive Honestly, were you? Like, yeah, the, 90, the 95% confidence interval is super wide on that. I would say okay. probably like, I would, I would guess like genuinely five to 750, like probably reached out. Okay. So 500, 750 people. And this was, you know, somewhat of a templated thing you'd put together, like for certain people, were you, what, what angles were you using in terms of like how you reached out to them? Were you saying like, Hey, I noticed you went to a liberal arts college. We're using like liberal arts alums. Obviously you did the tuck and you did the, you did the Merrill Lynch. Yeah. I, I think because, yeah, I'm just curious if you used any other kind of angles. Yeah, definitely. Um, so like if I'm talking to Wheaton students today, I definitely encourage them to, to take the liberal arts angle. Um, <laughs> But like when I was doing this, it, you know, it wasn't super easy to know who was at each of these banks because there wasn't this like carefully codified LinkedIn network that everyone was expected to be on. It was like, you know, kind of a, a sloppy, um, you know, disorganized um, setup at that point. So like I, I was essentially like trying to find like lists, like I just looked up a, a huge list of like, here are all the people in Merrill Lynch IB when I was on the, you know, intranet there mm-hmm. and like literally reached out to all of those people. And it was like, how, like one managing director, like, how did you get this email? <laughs> you know, like that kind of stuff. You're like uh, silent. You're like, uh, <laughs> yeah. did you tell them or did you just run away? No, I, re- I responded and I can't, I honestly can't remember if, if we had a conversation, but yeah. if we didn't, one of the other MDs and I spoke and we had a good conversation. And so, That's yeah, great. it's just kind of learning to, to embrace failure because the stakes are, are low with these conversations as long as you're respectful, you know, and just, right. you know. So, okay. So you, you used kind of more of the, the alum network, the, the Merrill Lynch network, the, the Tuck network, and that seemed to get you, you said yeah. the hit rate on those. So like out of 500, like emails, cold email slash LinkedIn request slash whatever, would you say like 10% responded to you? Yeah. Let me clarify. So I, I don't think I, I definitely didn't know 500 bankers. Like I, I think in this day and age, it's much easier to like go directly to the tap. But like for me, it was, I was looking up anyone in like commercial banking too and like would have a phone call with them to ask if they knew anyone on the investment banking side. So right. um, were they insulted that you didn't want to do commercial banking? Uh, well, I, definitely <laughs> I definitely didn't lead with that, but um, right. you know, it's, it's a delicate. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, it, like I was so pleasantly surprised throughout this entire process. I think one of like the mental shifts for me was just, um, and now being on the other side is somebody working that gets reached out to like, it does not feel like a huge burden to talk to a student, especially the younger that they're reaching out, you know, like as a junior, like a freshman. Junior, like, okay, what, you know, what's, what's the angle here, but as a sophomore or a freshman, it's like, oh, you know, here's someone who just wants to talk, hear what I'm up to. Um, if I have time, then I, I try to make that, especially as somebody who's gone through this experience and so mm-hmm. um, yeah I think just understanding that these conversations can be helpful and productive and not feel super transactional was like a huge shift for me um, but yeah I'd say the hit rate was pretty good I tried to craft thoughtful emails so that like the top of the funnel wouldn't get narrowed uh, super quickly and and just kind of vary them a little bit based on the context but 
So what do you uh, think your, your hit rate was? Uh, it can be rough, rough range. So like out of say, let's say it was 500, was it like 50 people responded to hundred? Um, yeah. I mean, just because a lot of this was like my college or like family. So it was or, almost 20%. You think that high? Um, I would say higher than that. Wow. Wow, uh, is a pretty tight network. And that, and that like, I understand. Yeah. That could be like 70, 80%, right? Totally. Yeah. And, and like, just thinking through the fact that I would re-email the people who didn't respond the first time and collect some, you know, oh, so sorry, I missed your first note responses. I, yep. Yeah, I don't think 80% is an unreasonable Wow. Here. Yeah. So you, you got a lot of responses out of those, let's say, 300 to 400 responses. How many yeah. did you actually end up talking to? Or those that five hundred to seven fifty? Are you saying you talked to five hundred to seven hundred people, or you reached that? That would be that's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, but, but like this was kind of un- inefficient because it's you know it's not like I'm talking to to bankers in each of those. Of course, yeah, yeah. But you're saying you actually got on the phone with that many people. Every day of my like ju- of my uh, junior fall was like me stepping out of the middle of a class to like take a call with somebody who was like available at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, even like, you know, second half of sophomore year, like it was just hopping on the phone whenever like anyone would be willing to speak with you You're or doing like a call a day at least or something like that. Almost honestly, probably like two or three. three yeah. People. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that adds up. And, and like some of those mattered way more than, you know, than others, but um, right. yeah. So you probably learned a ton on those calls, I assume. Um, yeah. And one of the benefits to that was by the time you get in the interview room. So I know where to focus the rest of this podcast. You're like the expert network, like a phone inter- informational phone interview <laughs> versus like what exactly, how did you structure these so that they were most beneficial? I assume you got really good after like the first 50 to a hundred. Um, yeah. It, it, well, so it's interesting. Cause like, you know, early on, you don't even know what to ask. You're kind of just fumbling around and, I think over time you get like different things out of the conversation. Like first you sort of just get a lay of the land. So like when I was trying to decide whether I wanted to do consulting or banking, um, you know, I wanted to do something junior year. And one of the big takeaways that I learned was, Hey, it's really tough from a non-target school to do a consulting internship after your junior year. Like there, there are far fewer of those because they want to leave open the opportunity to hire people full time from like investment banking or other types of backgrounds. Um, I didn't where know that. See, you just taught me that. <laughs> I didn't well, realize I, they, they left more slots open. Yeah. So, so there's a lot more recruiting. Like you, it's, it's very common to see a lot of people who go into consulting that didn't have internships in yeah. consulting. Okay. Whereas, you know, in banking, if, you know, if you're going to spend two years, working a hundred hours a week, then you kind of need to test that out and see what that's like. And so the banks, I mean, I don't know what the stats are today. You probably know this way better than I do, but just like the expectation is that you do a junior internship in, in order to have a oh, shot. Yeah. At it. Oh yeah. The yield on these is crazy. I mean, they tend to, most banks are between 70 and 90%, you know, summer analysts to full-time offer rate and yeah. the, and the yield on that is still incredibly high. Um, although it has dropped a little bit, it's not like severe. The bigger problem for the banks is the attrition and the right. analysts leaving so early or, or mm-hmm. being checked out because private equity recruiting happens so fast, but that's, that's a different crazy. story. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so, well, 
so logically in my head, I was like, okay, I, I can't like, there's only going to be one option junior summer. And that creates two paths because, you know, consulting firms are very interested in hiring people who have just gone through this, you know, intensive 10 week crash course and being responsible and modeling and you know, all the things that go into investment banking. And so I thought, why not try and pursue that and see what, you know, coming out of an internship makes more sense if I have two routes. So mm-hmm. uh, at that point, I kind of narrowed my focus. I would say that was kind of like during the Tuck program is when I was like, okay, I'm going to go full speed ahead towards um, just investment banking. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's when I doubled down on like, you know, doing a, a modeling course and mm-hmm. um, stopped talking to people in consulting uh, like stop proactively reaching out and like just focused towards, uh, towards I. Yeah. Okay. And so when you got on these calls, as you got better, would you keep it more conversational? How was your tone? How was like, so they're like, Hey, Hey Paul, how can I help you? Like, what would you even start off? With? Yeah. I think that's, um, I think that's helpful to hear because a lot of these kids are so nervous when they, especially when they first start out. So yeah. just give them a little bit of a framework, not that they have to be robots and read a script, but yeah, 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 of course. Um, so there are all different kinds of people that will get on the phone. Some of them are rushed. Some of them are nice people that are having a bad day. You know, you never know what you're going to have to deal with. And uh, so well, I'm busy. What do I, what do you need? <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you want? Um, what do you want, kid? Yeah. Um, and, and like, I remember some people who would, you know, be interested in just small, small talk at the beginning and you kind of need to, be able to to read that um, but there were a number of conversations where people were short um, people didn't seem to want to engage and so one thing that I started doing after I don't know how many of those uncomfortable conversations was uh, you know I, I noticed that at every call at some point transitioned to my story and so if I felt like it was awkward my like safe phrase was just well, thanks so much for getting on the phone. Would it be helpful if I told you a little bit about myself? And then that's a great way for them to like, one, either, you know, start to get engaged and interested or like now there's not even small talk. They completely check out, you know, that just kind of transitioned the conversation to a more like predictable structured frame. Cause then you know where it's going. You tell your two minute story. Um, and I found that a lot of people were way more willing to engage after that than at the beginning because then it's oh okay this guy has relevant background it seems like he's doing some of the right things Mm -hmm. um i'm connected to him for whatever reason i figured out to connect to that person because of and from there you start to get into more of the typical questions about you know would love to hear more about your experience in x group y company and it can kind of more organically flow from there but you've built up some credibility if you you're speaking out of a two-minute story that's effective you know and how did you structure that story was obviously you were refer you'd be referencing your program at tuck and how you came from not target but you're you're working towards you yeah. know trying to better yourself and whatnot is that kind of the main framework that you used yeah it's sort of like you you build your story such that you know you come from the right background for whatever they're interested in so like the fact that i was majoring in math and economics mm-hmm. mentioned um, I looked at the stats at some point, like I, I pulled this off of LinkedIn, but the number of athletes in investment banking 
the percentage is is crazier it was when I looked at this a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And so referencing that idea of sport, that I'm competitive, like learning to hit on some of those things that kind of uh, it's funny we had the we had the most most athletic investment banks because we actually asked questions on like interviews and like co- our compensation salaries we asked her did you play a varsity sport in your college and so we, ha- we have a list of like who the who the biggest like the most athletic banks versus the least athletic um that, that's really we'll have, i'll have to pull that up i haven't looked in years i don't even know who it is now but um sorry yeah no, no no but it was just like i i think i scraped like 10 liberal arts schools and like 80 to 90 percent were some sort of varsity athlete in college yeah so just hitting on things like that i think was important as you know kind of fitting the mold and then my progression i think was the other main piece so um here's why i chose like you know very quickly hitting on here's why i chose math and economics i love working with numbers um i'm competitive and so like um, you know coming from that i knew i wanted to do something in finance and I did this internship, which I really liked X element that's related to investment banking. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I really felt like it was missing Y element, which is, you know, also related to investment banking. (laughs) And so went to the tuck program that confirmed that, you know, this is really where I should be. And every moment up until this conversation is like culminating in me wanting to, to be an investment banking. I mean, like that's kind of the, the formula at all. Yeah, that's helpful. Okay. That's actually really helpful. Thank you. Um, so it was more, they were more receptive after that. You had a good conversation and then typically would you end it with, you know, is there anyone else you think I should speak with, or I'd love to, you know, stay in touch and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, so I think one of the questions that I would always ask is what would be your advice for me coming from a non-target school to get my foot in the door at, Deutsche Bank or whatever, you know, the bank would be. And that was kind of a softball question too, in a way, because it's not asking for a referral, right? It's it's like it's indirectly saying, hey, do you want to help me? <laughs> and and like I I have plenty of people who are like, well, you know, like I, I'm happy to refer you, you know, in the fall, reach reach back out. And I had a number of other people who like weren't uncomfortable saying oh yeah, just keep doing what you're doing, you know, keep networking. And that's like an easy way for them to say no and for the conversation not to be awkward. Mm-hmm. And plenty of those people even were willing to connect me to somebody else, you know, at the bank. And so mm-hmm. a lot of like those softball questions to like, you know, follow up, have a reason to follow up later. A lot of, you know, requests to talk to other people. I think I had talked to like four people in JP Morgan's real estate group at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, yeah, you just kind of work your way around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fair. Okay, so you end up doing the internship, a uh, winter analyst internship. Tell me yeah. about that. What's what's going yeah. on? How do you how are you land a winter internship? I don't even know. I, I've heard of this, I believe, but is this something in the Chicago office? Yeah, so that was in the Chicago office. Um, Did they have winter internships because they've realized it's better to be in the office all night instead of being so, in the Chicago so, so, cold. Yeah. <laughs> So they did, um, they did this every year and they would have one intern and I, I had no clue this was even a thing. Um, and I wasn't even really going for it. So to rewind, so I come back, I reconnect with every single person I know who's in any way connected to investment banking. And 
there was a Wheaton alum whose cousin worked at Morgan Stanley in their investment banking division. And this Wheaton alum is super nice. He's like, let me introduce you to my cousin. He's the smartest guy I know. I'm sure he'll be helpful to you. And so this guy, he gets introduced to some Wheaton student from his cousin. He's like, okay, sure. Like I'm super busy, but I'll connect with this guy. Um, and he knows that I'm interested in, in going out to New York for the summer. Like I've got this fall break lined up where I have, um, I'm planning to meet with all these banks. I'm going to figure out how to piece together a schedule. Like as I fly up there, I, I think I had like 10% of those, uh, chats set up as I flew out there and the rest figured itself out once I landed. Yeah. Um, but this guy in Chicago was just sitting down beforehand to talk me through and give me advice and say, um, Hey, here's this part of your story I'd tweak or, you know, be ready for these kind of questions. Cause when you go and sit down in Goldman, like they're not just going to like want to chat with you to chat. Like they're going to ask you some questions too. Um, and so he, he basically tested me on some technicals and was really, really helpful, really nice guy. So did this New York visit, uh, went really well, got to meet with a bunch of banks and I came back from that and I just shot him a thank you note, like, Hey, this, this, um, you know, trip to New York went really well. Thanks so much for your help. Um, you know, talk to you at some point in the future, you know? And so I didn't think anything more of it. And this was probably in early October mm -hmm. and in early November, I get, a voicemail and it's from this guy and he's saying how, um, Hey Paul, I know that you're interested in New York for, uh, IB roles for the summer, but you know, we just finished doing recruiting through Northwestern U Chicago for our winter analyst role. And we didn't like any of the candidates. We're thinking of scrapping the program for this year, but you know, if, if, if this is something you're interested in, then, give me a shout and maybe I can like convince them. I know you're, you're not coming from like a school that we're used to hiring from, but maybe I can convince like one of the associates who's involved in recruiting to talk to you and, and take it from there. You probably have to take off for your uh, spring semester for Q3. Cause this will be, you know, on site. You're like, hell yeah, no problem. <laughs> I'm like, I will figure it out, you know? Yeah. Um, and fortunately I had the credits to do that. So I was able to, um, to basically just not graduate late. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I only took uh, Q4 credits that semester. And basically I, I reached back out to the, to the guy. I was like, yeah, absolutely. Would love to chat with whoever. And by the time I got on the phone for what was essentially that first round interview, you know, I had already done 200 of these 300 of these, like telling my story. Um, I had just been in, you know, New York sitting down with banks doing this process. And so it just felt like I was doing this thing that I, you know, did every day. Second nature to you at that point. It was like riding a bike. Yeah. And so I, I don't know, I would, I wouldn't be surprised if, if students who like have had to network a lot coming into these kinds of interviews tend to have a higher hit rate in the interview because they've already told their story so many times. Like I think that's a silver lining for people coming from, you know, backgrounds where they have to do networking or even just for students who are proactive from target schools who are connecting with alumni. Like, the, you know, the fact that you come in and it's second. I feel like you are naturally like, I mean, cause you speak well, do you feel like you're naturally kind of gifted in that though? Um, 
You know, I don't, I don't know. I think I, some people are just, you know, they really struggle with it. They're, they maybe are more like on the engineering side, a little more technically competent, but they just in terms of interaction, it's almost like, I think of this as like a different la- la- layers of intelligence and there's like a social EQ aspect and there's the IQ aspect. Sometimes when people are very high on the IQ aspect, they lack a little bit of EQ, which is yeah. super, it's hard on the phone, especially when you're not getting facial approval or anything like that to really understand. A lot of things become much more direct and transactional, yeah. like you said, rather than a conversation. I feel like you don't, you don't seem to, I mean, even though you're a math, a math major, you don't seem like <laughs> a lot of the math majors I know. So do you feel like that is a, um, it was easier for you or you still feel like you were, were you really fumbling at the beginning? Like, because um, to, to do that many calls, it seems like you were really comfortable with it or did you just force yourself to do it? I definitely forced myself. I mean, I like, I don't know what my starting point is. I think, um, what I'll like say is this, I think, you know, maybe there are like a very small percent of people that like are so far towards the, um, the low social EQ or whatever, whatever you want to call it, that like it really will be tough to get over the hump. But like the vast majority of people who would be, like, you know, listening to something like this or uh, interested in these types of roles are you know, more than capable, like, honestly, like I'm an introvert and I did 300 of these calls or 400 of these yeah. calls. So I think like at the end of the day, it's about, okay, I can learn from this end call and it will benefit me for the N plus one and N plus two call and N plus three. And, and like, as you start to have more of these conversations, you learn more about what this like group of people is interested in talking about or like expects to hear. And one of the super valuable things that I would get from a lot of these people was feedback on my story so that by, you know, the 10th conversation, I was speaking much more effectively than I was in the first one. So very painful at first, uh, but you figure it out, you know, like regardless. Okay. That's fair. So you somehow, so, you know, you're getting this interview for this winter analyst position at Morgan Stanley. It's like a dream out of like a movie you know, you did knock on a lot of doors, so we'll give yeah. you that. <laughs> so this door opens up and you kind of, are you nervous even though you've done so many of these or are you just like, Hey, if it doesn't work out, whatever, I'll keep going. Yeah. Well, I'm nervous and I'm also trying to figure out, okay, how does this work for the summer? Right. Um, and did you, were you hoping they maybe would give you a summer analyst yeah. offer as well? Yeah. Which I did receive. Did. Um, okay. So tell me, so you took time off from school. You started in January, yeah. took quarter off, right? And you just showed up to the office. I mean, what was it, what was it like? So you obviously, they, they said, okay, we'd like you to come in. You talked to the associate and a few other people, I assume, and it went well. Yeah, so I talked to the associate over the phone and passed his screen. And so then I came in for a super day. and mm-hmm. With you and by yourself or with other people? No, it was like a Paul super day. <laughs> a Paul super day, okay. Because yeah. they had already rejected everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like in some ways the odds are pretty good. It's like a yes or, or no. Do they want to bring the odds are good, but it's also like, why do they reject everybody else? Did you right. Get, did you get any other, any feedback on this, when he said that we don't like any other candidates? Did you ever talk to them more in depth about why? Not really. It's just was... unbelievable to me that that. Yeah. That I... Okay. So you're, you're in there, you do the super day, 
you get through how many a lot of technicals i assume where they trying to grill you because you're from a non-target yeah i mean there I, I think that some people saw like oh this guy built a dcf during his tuck experience and like one guy like went into depth we talked about like how much the terminal value was as a percent of you know total like and and you know did my i mean i I did well enough to pass, I guess, but like he definitely was playing bad cop. Um, there were other people that just wanted to hear about my background. Um, yeah, it was kind of everything from behavioral to, to the, technical. The bad cop technical interview who started drilling on the DCF harder and harder and harder. How did you handle that in terms of like, did you say at some point, you know, I'm really not sure. Did you like draw a line somewhere? Cause I feel like oftentimes um, people struggle and flounder and they, sometimes it's better for them just to say, I don't know. Yeah, I think, there were a couple things that were like important to that interview, which were one that like, I kind of saw it as a game and it, it, like, you know, an important you know interview, but also like, it's okay. Like I know that this guy is trying to push me and like, I'm up to the challenge. Like, okay, he wants to drill there deeper. Um, and so like, I was kind of still smiling that whole time while trying to figure out whatever, you know, new curveball he was throwing. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a point where I like, you know, did say, uh, you know, I'm not really sure. Um, and there was one answer that I remember giving. Um, I can't even remember to what it was, but he was like, huh, like whatever percent. Yeah. That doesn't really seem realistic to me. Anyways, next question. And he just like kept moving on. So like he was definitely, yeah. you know, trying to push my buttons. And I think part of it is just staying composed in those kind of situations. Yeah, just start uh, panicking and floundering or not. So yeah. I want to keep going because it's getting, it's, sure. it's, it's yeah, fine. Yeah. I don't want to keep you too long, but like you get a full-time offer to join them in the summer. Why not go to Morgan Stanley full, t you know, a summer analyst role, you know, three months there. Did you not like the experience or what was the, what was the thought? Process? So I think that my investment banking internship uh, that I did over the winter was like the most, um, concentrated like learning per hour spent in my entire career mm -hmm. so um even though i decided i didn't want to do that full time like i'm still you know a huge advocate for students to you know pursue that route i think you learn so much um that was such a critical part of not only my skill set but kind of my brand going into consulting too where it's like oh we're going to put this guy on you know any of our like modeling projects that was a big part of me um you know making the internal transition at mckinsey to this you know really exciting group that did merger management and transactions work was the fact that i had done this investment banking experience mm -hmm. um but, but so, let's let's talk about a little bit like so you you get to the end of the winter uh, winter analyst stint in march yeah. of that year and they offer you to come back that summer in chicago yeah, so they offered for me to come back for the and summer. You said no flat out right then then and there? So so I said yes. You and, said yes. Okay. And I ended up uh coming down with pneumonia. So this doesn't happen to everybody who does an investment internship, but I I got walking pneumonia and got pretty sick. Mm -hmm. Uh probably like the hours? Was it the hours? I think I mean, that's something that I've always struggled with in consulting even. Um, and I think I've gotten a better grip in PE, but this is, you know, probably boring to hear for like an 18 to 22 year old. But like, I really do think your 20s in a lot of ways are, are like learning what your body can handle, you know, and, and that changes over time. But like that, I, 
I was drinking a as, lot. As we're both at standing desks right now, I have a bad yeah, back pain. I'm 40. Like, you know, you're probably in better shape. You're in much better shape than I am. But yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, so, so like a lot of it was, um, probably the hours, but also like the fact that I was just like in an environment where I was drinking a lot more than, than usual. And you know, this is the most dramatic drop off in exercise that I had ever had. Right. Like, I'm an athlete and like for the first time in my life, I haven't done anything for 10 weeks. Like I was just like a physiologically different person <laughs> by the end of this internship. So like I am a best practice, like worst practices person when it comes to like taking care of yourself during mm-hmm. um, an experience like this, but you were I, 90 hour weeks, hundred hour weeks. Yeah. I, I think I averaged a little over a hundred. Um, but, but my worst was only like, 115. Oh, that's no. it. 115. <laughs> well, I've heard horror stories. I think I'll, no, I know. I've heard people. Um, okay. So you got trial by fire. You got to the end. Was the pneumonia near the end? Yeah. I didn't even know that I had it until like okay. afterwards. Um, so you and said it, yes. And you got really sick in that spring. Yeah. And I tried to, to come back like I did the first week of, of training and basically in New York. And then I came back and the first night I was up till 4am on a sell side deal. And like my lungs just completely retightened up on me. And I was like, Oh God, what, you know, what am I about to, to go through again? And over the course of the next few days, my lungs got worse. And I just basically had a conversation with them. And I was like, look, I, you know, you guys know what I'm capable of doing and, and what my, work product is like you've gotten to see me for 10 weeks i don't think that i can physically do this for the summer and so they were like okay like we we understand like let's have a conversation Did you have a doctor's note at that point to prove that something was wrong with you or you just knew something was wrong with you you had like a gut instinct um i can't i, I did go to a doctor i can't remember if it was, it was after or before um to like go get on antibiotics but um like I already had a, a good relationship with them. So it wasn't the kind of thing where like they needed that from me. Cause they knew, I mean, I'd worked, with you know, you're a workhorse. Yeah. I'd, yeah. I worked for them for a thousand hours at that point. So they knew they could trust me. Um, okay. so it, was, it was sort of like a, okay, let's have a conversation at the end of the summer. If you're interested in coming back. Um, and I, so I, I took the summer, I ended up doing a different kind of like much lighter internship for the second half of the summer. just like, cobbled something together once I was healthier. I, I pitch it differently, you know, in uh, conversations. But, but basically, I, I used that summer to get healthier again. And was like, you know, I, I think I want to find something that's a little bit less intensive sure. for time. Um, okay, so you got into, so you finished that, you kind of, I assume the place that you interned at also wanted you back full time. Uh, that was actually just kind of a favor yeah. from my network where I was Got like, it. Oh, yeah, we can, we can bring somebody on for the summer. Like they, so you, they you enter senior year with nothing. Yeah. So I enter senior year and I decide to, well, and I should say this. So, um, and cut me off whenever No, no, it's good. need to go. But so the funniest part of all of this was that I was in the winter analyst role during the recruiting process for the summer. So I got to see on the inside of, you know, this investment banking recruiting machine and watch how it happened. Um, and at the same time, they didn't say anything about the summer. So I was like going down to the lobby to like get on a credit Suisse first round and like 
you know, talk about why I'm interested in that bank. Um, and so <laughs> I was going through all these other processes and all of a sudden it reached this awkward point where um, I hadn't heard anything from Morgan Stanley about the summer and I had two super days in New York for other banks. And I was like, Hey, I like, I need to take a day off. And they're like, what are you talking about? This is an investment internship. You don't take a day off. And I was like, well, I, and I talked to the associate that I was close with at the time. And it's like, I've got super days at other banks and like, I don't know what's the deal for the summer. And so like very quickly the MD um, that I worked a lot with, like con conferred with the other MDs and they like very quickly like, gave me a summer offer and just like, you can't go to New York. We need you working. <laughs> um, but yeah, I got to be there while we were interviewing for the Chicago office and see like I legitimately was sifting through resumes and filtering who should be in the, you know, the shortlist. So like one of the big, like realizations for me, it was just how imperfect and human this process is. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I think a lot of students early on think that they're, you know, going to get this careful evaluation of whether or not they're a good fit. And it's really no, like, can you catch the attention of someone on that boat because it is leaving the harbor and <laughs> you need them to toss your life best, you know? Yeah. yeah, totally. No, I agree. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of a naive freshman sophomore maybe maybe juniors are a little more <laughs> yeah. a little more uh, realistic once they've been rejected for all the sophomore internships but um so you so okay so you kind of get right, into the summer yeah so you come out of the summer and then the senior year i guess you didn't feel you still felt like you kind of had morgan stanley in the back pocket potentially full time they, you had already kind of done it seems like you had really strong relationships there after you know busting your butt for that yeah. winter so yeah, and i think like the you know the first few weeks that I was like, you know, transitioning back to campus. It was kind of like a, okay, if I don't call them in the next couple of weeks, then like, that's, that's not a good indicator. So there was definitely like a good month and a half period where I felt like I, I didn't have that anymore and that I, I needed to create a new opportunity. Um, so how did you shift to like prepping for consulting interviews? Suddenly you, everything you've done for almost a, over a year now had been banking, banking, banking. So, I mean, the, here's the way that I like thought about it. So I had built up all of this um, experience in connecting with people in a field that wasn't for people from non-target schools like me, right? Like that was my like main skill that I had developed mm -hmm. and I knew how to, how to craft a story. And so I reconfigured my story for consulting. Mm -hmm. um, I think an important part of this is that i I decided that consulting would be interesting and like I had the motivation to, to go after it because I was excited about the prospect of working at. You, you could know, be genuine. You could be genuine, which is key. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And so, <laughs> so I, I started just basically, you know, tailoring my story to, to fit consulting talked about, you know, how much I got out of the investment banking internship. Um, but conveyed, you know, why I wanted to do this. And I started having ton, tons of conversations with people doing that. And did you tell them that you got a pneumonia and that you were working over a hundred hours a week? I left out the pneumonia part, but I definitely mentioned the hundred hours a week part. Um, I definitely mentioned that. Yeah. So 
I think the biggest piece then was was transitioning to um, like behaviorals. You know, I had a th- like a hundred different behavioral stories from the investment banking internship that I could easily use. It was really just okay. How do I connect with people in consulting, and how do I do case prep, uh, and what resources can I use? And um, is yeah, I was basically spending the fall doing that and trying to. It's funny, like your GPA matters the most, like sophomore and junior year. Mm-hmm. And then, like nobody looked. I guess if you're going to business school and people look at it, but otherwise, you know, it doesn't really matter after that point. So it's just how do I keep my grades afloat while um, doing all this prep? So you start drilling case interviews, case interviews, case interviews. You know, with some friends, I assume, or like who did you even find? There's yeah. there's lots of resources online. Uh, there's we have a case um, a consulting case interview course there's but there's tons out there that are great um there's case books you can get for free uh, yeah start off so is that what you did you just started drilling yourself or did you were there a mentor you had in the consulting space yeah i basically had to find you know a number of people to to help and i kind of did this myself but like the analogy i like to use with this for people who are trying to prep is that it was kind of like learning how to golf um or really like any other kind of sport like that so you know, I could get out there and, you know, try and figure out how to swing. Um, and you could take a thousand different balls out to the range and like dump them and just swing as many as you can. And, you know, that can be one approach. Or if you take 20 balls and each time you take a swing, like somebody who knows what they're doing, gives you feedback, tinkers with your form a little bit, like you're going to get way better off of 20 swings than you will off of, you know, a thousand unguided swings. So for me, it was, what are the resources I need to like mm-hmm. be able to even have this conversation, <laughs> like buy a golf club, right? Uh, buy some golf balls and then go and have these conversations. And if I built rapport with some consultant or like, for example, one of the TAs from the bridge program, he worked at Bain. And so he gave me a great case, which is now my like go-to case that I use for any student that comes to me that wants to do cases. Mm-hmm. Um, just like people like that, that give you a case that they've given in real interview situations and then tell you, Hey, here's how you should think about reapproaching this kind of problem in the future. Like that was the super valuable stuff. That's awesome. So you drilled and you drilled and you got a first round interview. How at McKenzie? Now you've done it again for a second time in a row. You landed an internship at Morgan Stanley from a non-target and now you get an internship. I can understand how you get McKinsey easier because now you got Morgan Stanley. Um, yeah, but, but it's still like it's you're you really need some like I remember sitting at Morgan Stanley's table over lunch and we had a stack of like a thousand resumes and we split them up amongst people as we were eating Chipotle and like we just went through as quickly as possible because like this is taking time away from analysts, other like real job to try and. Oh, yeah, it's literally them. like this, sometimes less than five seconds. And you're like, yeah. and some like off comment about like, oh, this guy, you know, somebody misinterprets something and you get pulled out or like guacamole drops on part of a resume and like maybe they stick together and somebody completely misses you. Like it's really like for me getting the any guacamole my- ding, don't get hit by the guacamole ding. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I remember like this applies from banking too. Like I think, so I got interviews at, well, I don't know what classifies as bullish bracket now, but essentially all but Deutsche Bank. And that was the one where I did not have any close connections. And I think the same applies for consulting. So I interviewed at Bain and McKinsey 
and didn't have any connections at BCG. Uh, but it's really just through, you know, continuing to push, continuing to push and getting enough. It's kind of a function of your, your experience and, you know, whoever's pushing your resume through and really being an advocate for you. And what I will say, yeah, you made enough connections. Clearly. I mean, you, you got in the interviews, you, and you, did you feel like you nailed it right away or was, was McKinsey later on? How did you kind of get to those super days? Yeah. You know, so I felt like the, the case interview went well uh, over the phone. Um, but I was nervous through the whole process. Like, you know, I had built up all this momentum and IB and then, you know, realized that, Oh, I, I don't think I want to go down that route. Well, shoot. Like, you know, I've put in all this effort. And so I was honestly stressed through this entire process and, and probably like a pretty harsh critic of myself. So like, I remember walking out of the, super day for McKenzie and thinking that I didn't get it. Um, and then got the call that, that night or whenever it was, but like, I was very stressed this whole time. So I think, you know, if I could go back, I think a huge part of this is just, you know, finding the things that keep you sane and, and keep you resilient during this process, whether that's like, for me, I think I neglected running at the time. And like, that would have been a huge boost to my confidence, you know? So, um, I mean, it worked out, but I think it could have been a little bit less pain, painful. So, no, I think yeah, staying staying fits is big. Yeah, so let's uh, let's now switch over to talking a little bit more about what it was like to actually work at McKinsey. Thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, Patrick at WallStreetOasis.com. Until next time. Thank you.